The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unscrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are um, a whole lot of ways that we can approach the scriptures, that we can read the Bible. Um, This week, as I have been um, sitting with the gospel that we just heard Tom read from the fourth chapter of Luke, I would say I have less been studying uh, that passage, and I've more been trying to imagine uh, what it might be like to be present at the events that were happening uh, that day. This is an old form of prayer or meditation. Uh, Francis of Assisi talked about it a bit. Um, Ignatius of Loyola developed it quite a bit. And uh, it's a, a way of, again, entering into the story imaginatively. The hope being that by doing that, uh, you sort of get some new insights into what uh, is happening in that story. So today, the first thing I want to say is I want to commend this way of reading the Bible to you. We're not going to practice it. I'm not going to do a guided meditation in it. But it's a very simple way to read the Bible. And the, the, the easiest way to think about it is just to focus on the senses. Um, some people talk about constructing the scene. Um, and so, you know, go through your senses. If, if you place yourself in a particular narrative like this one, what do you see? Where do you find yourself? What are you hearing? What are you smelling? Is there anything you're tasting? Are there any tactile sensations that are present to you? All of those things sort of open up the narrative for you. So I'd commend this form of reading to you. And by the way, I think it's directly related uh, to the prayer of the day that we heard read earlier. Here's today's prayer of the day. Um, Blessed Lord God, you have caused the Holy Scriptures to be written for the nourishment of your people. Grant that we may hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. I would say this type of prayer meditation is a way to kind of inwardly digest the scriptures. So that's the first thing. I want to commend it to you. Uh, if you want to talk about how to do it another time, we can do that. But then I do have a couple of insights, which again is the goal of this type of prayer or meditation is that hopefully they may not be huge, they may not be profound, but they maybe just help you to see the reading 
in a, a way that you haven't before. And I'll share those with you in a second. Um, but before that, I want to sort of just bring us up to speed on how we got to this point, again, in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. About a month ago, of course, we celebrated Jesus' birth. Uh, and as I mentioned in an earlier sermon since then, he grows up very quickly in the church here. And part of that is we don't really have a whole lot in the Bible about his early years. We have one event when he's at the temple. But since then, the big events have been uh, the, the visit of the Magi, of the wise men, uh, his baptism. Uh, last week, because it's part of the celebration of the season of Epiphany, we do the wedding at Cana. That All of those things are still before his public ministry begins, which is what today's reading is. But the things that we haven't yet read that are, I think, appropriate to remind us of are after the baptism of Jesus, which is a profoundly significant, uh, it's a signal moment in his life when he becomes aware in a new way, in a deeper way of God's call in his life. And again, we celebrated that a few weeks ago. Um, after the baptism, Jesus goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to try to sort of absorb that call, to, to think about it, to pray about it, to reflect on it. We'll get to that reading when we get to the season of Lent. And then we're told, but we don't, it's not narrated in terms of the actual events, but we're told that he goes into the region of Galilee where he begins to preach. And he starts developing a bit of a following, and people are interested in what he has to say. He becomes a little bit of a celebrity. Um, and then today, for the first time in the Gospels, we, we get his first sermon. It is sometimes called, without irony, his inaugural address. It's the first public uh, proclamation that he makes. And very importantly, uh, it happens at his hometown, his town of Nazareth. Okay. Uh, so uh, this, this form of imagining yourself in the scene, again, I'm not going to do a guided meditation sort of practice for you. I'm more talking about it. But in this particular scene, uh, there are really two places you can locate yourself in it. You're either in the pews, effectively. I don't, I don't know if they had pews back then. They had something to sit on, I suppose. Listening to Jesus, or you place yourself beside, beside Jesus, observing the scene that way. So let's start imagining you're hearing the words of Jesus, okay? And again, Jesus has been out preaching. Uh, he's developing a following, but he hasn't yet preached in his hometown. So his hometown, and by the way, Nazareth, you should know, is about 400 people. So it's very small, right? Um, and everyone would have known each other. There, A lot of them were related. He goes there to the synagogue. Uh, he's one of the readers, and the scroll, we're told, of Isaiah is given to him which he unrolls, and Luke says he reads this. So he is choosing, it's this it's sort of a, a collection of passages that Luke distills for us, but this is what Jesus cho chooses to read to his hometown audience. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free. Now again, you can sort of on your own time imagine yourself in that scene listening to it, but it strikes me that there are two basic ways you might respond to that uh, reading of Jesus if you're sitting there. The first might be, oh, look, it's Jesus. He's all grown up now. 
And he's saying nice things, and he's going to go out into the world and help people. Isn't that beautiful? Well done, Jesus. That's one way you might imagine people hearing it. However, for reasons which will become apparent, I think that's probably unlikely in terms of how people heard those words. Instead, I think much more likely what happened is, again, his hometown, his friends, his family, hear him choose these words from Isaiah, and they think, huh, he's talking about good news for the poor and release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and about letting the oppressed go free. I think the question they're asking is, who does he think we are? How dare he? Who does he think I am? Does he think I'm a captive? Does he think I'm blind? Does he think I'm oppressed? Does he think I'm poor? What's wrong with him? So there's a little bit of defensiveness. And then we're told Jesus gives the scroll to the attendant. He sits down, taking the posture of a teacher or a rabbi, and he begins to speak to them. Now, we don't know everything he says. Luke distills it into a single line, basically. But here's what he says. Here's how Luke reports it. Then he began, he, Jesus, began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And now, this defensive audience that initially is asking, who does he think I am? When Jesus says, today the scripture has been filled, fulfilled in your hearing, now they're thinking to themselves, who does he think he is? Because he's reading from Isaiah. This is language about what the Messiah would do, and they're thinking, this is little Jesus. We saw him grow up from a little whippersnapper. And now he's telling me I'm blind, depressed, captive, poor, and he's saying, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. How dare he? Now, spoiler alert. Next week, you're going to get the continuation of this gospel, but I, when I was sort of imagining myself in it, it was impossible for me to end where it does today, where he just says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Um, and so I'm, you will hear more about this next week, almost certainly from a slightly different perspective, which is good, and repetition is a good thing. But I will summarize what happens next by saying things go off the rails. Um, there's a, a, a lot of, uh, again, it starts with defensiveness, which turns into probably some misunderstanding. And eventually, it's not just that the people are upset. What we are told is that... Um, when they heard all of this, some other stuff we'll hear next week, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They were mad. And what do they do? They send Jesus not only out of the synagogue, they not only send him out of Nazareth, his hometown, but they drive him to the brow of a cliff where they want to do what? kill him. That's what's on their mind. His family, his friends, at his very first sermon, they want to kill him. And at this point, as I imagined myself in this scene, um, it was impossible not to move the perspective from the people listening to Jesus to Jesus himself. And it, it, in fact, 
there was, it's amazing how the Bible sort of continues to open itself up to you uh, when you read it and study it and imagine yourself in it. And there was an insight I had as I thought about how Jesus here, again, he's being sent from his hometown, uh, he's leaving, and the insight has to do actually with something that's on the back of your bulletin. If you pick your bulletins up, we have a quote there from a well-known Christian author named Frederick Beekner, which is uh, a, a kind of a nice summary of this event. It says, when he, Jesus, went back to his hometown, Jesus chose the prophet Isaiah to read from in the local synagogue. That's the passage I just shared with you about the blind, the poor, the captive, the oppressed. In other places in Isaiah, three or four of them, there are passages that deal with something called the suffering servant, which Christians have always understood are talking about Jesus. And by the way, in our cultural consciousness, most of us are aware of a lot of that language, thanks to Handel's Messiah, where that language is picked up, including what Beekner picks up here, just two, two sort of phrases. It's the words of this prophet that perhaps describe Jesus best, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, as Christians, that is not in a way surprising. What I think is surprising is that we tend to think about all that suffering servant passage as it relates to Jesus at the end of his life. Um, you know, when all of his enemies are mounting up against him, when he's being arrested, when he's being beaten, when he's being spit upon, and ultimately when he's being executed. That's where we sort of focus all of the suffering. And the insight that I had as I was reflecting on, again, this very first sermon that Jesus preached in his hometown, is that that was the case for Jesus from the very beginning of his public ministry. He was, from the start, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And that event in his hometown, I think, confirmed in his mind that this mission that God had sent him on was going to cost him something. It was going to hurt. And it began in terms of the cost and the hurt by the people who knew him best, who loved him best, who had seen him grow up, basically say, you are no longer welcome here. You are no longer one of us. And later in the Gospel of Luke, Luke uh, Jesus tells his disciples, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So it makes me um, more acutely aware of the pain and the sorrow that Jesus bore for our sake. And two quick other reflections. One is it makes it a lot easier for me to understand. We always talk about how Jesus is ministering to the, the marginalized, to the outcast, to those who are unwelcome. And all of a sudden that becomes sort of clear in a fresh way that there are lots of reasons I think those people trust Jesus, but one of them is they see in Jesus someone like themselves. Someone who also was outcast, who had been hurt, who was filled, as that passage from Isaiah says, with sorrow, filled with grief. And so he is much more approachable to all those people, which brings us, it seems to me, to today. If we only think of Jesus as someone, you know, sitting on a throne, 
surrounded by bright light, looking down on us, is really hard, I think, to approach him with what's on our heart. But when we recognize how painful and difficult and filled with grief and sorrow his own life was, I hope at least that when we hear that inaugural sermon of his again, that maybe we respond to it a little differently with this insight about who he was. And rather than be defensive, perhaps we might consider the fact that he was actually right and that we are captive and in bondage and blind and poor. And that when we admit that to ourselves first, and then second, when we freely have the courage to admit it to Jesus, we discover that he understands us and that he can help us. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Good and gracious God, you come to us in the flesh in the form of Jesus who suffered for us not only on the cross, but throughout his life. Help us to recognize the sacrifice of that life, to give thanks for it, and to give us the courage to come to this, our Lord and Savior, with whatever is on our heart today, trusting that he can help us. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.